This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Episode 29, Bees! Recorded on April 28th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. With your host, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. I, uh, it's one of the things I like about doing the, the podcast Thursday nights is it means it's almost Friday, so I'm usually in a pretty good mood. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. You kind of nail it with this. It was your idea to do it on Thursday nights, and it's I didn't even think this far ahead, but it's perfect because it's a pretty often an off day because it's travel, and then we start a new series on Friday, so that was yes. perfect. It works <laughs> out well. Yep. I think we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week because... Just a lot happened. A lot. Of, some of it wasn't good. Quite a bit of it wasn't good. But we have Carlos Carrasco was injured. Michael Brantley came back. Cody Anderson didn't have a great week. And then we had a mix of good and bad games to talk about. So we'll just <laughs> <Yes>. start. <laughs> it was pretty pretty big dichotomy there between the two series. So I think we'll just start right in with those. Uh, the Indians were 4-2 and two over the last week. Swept Detroit, which was awesome. They were unbeatable, the best team ever. Then they played Minnesota who apparently have three Cy Young pitchers, I guess, because that's the way they looked. Um, the Indians did win the last game against it, but they were 1-2. and two. Uh, On the good end of the offense, we had Santana. He was 11 for 32, four doubles, a home run. Most of that coming from the leadoff spot, uh, which we'll talk about and you wrote about earlier. And then Marlon Bird finally getting on track, 5 for 22. He had a double, a home run, and four walks. And Tyler Naquin, uh, with the Indians facing so many right-handed pitchers, he finally got quite a bit of time this week. It is a seven-game hit streak right now, and today he finally took a walk. <laughs> and <laughs> finally, first time, I think. And on the bad end, we had Lonnie Chisenhall. He has not looked good since coming up. Two for 18, a triple, and he struck out five times. So what stood out with you? I guess we'll just go series by series. So for the good first, with the Detroit series, anything stick out to you in particular? No, I mean, it's just, I mean, everything you would, minus one bad injury. I mean, everything you could hope for. A lot of things looking good. Um, Corey Kluber, who a lot of Tribe fans were sort of panicking about based on his first three starts, um, you know, was fantastic in his game over the weekend. Uh, you know, Carlos Santana, a lot of Indians fans wanted to see him in the leadoff role. I think going back at least two years, that's something that's been talked about uh, just because his incredible walk rate and on base skills. So we finally got to see that, and uh, while it's obviously a really small sample, he's been fantastic in that spot so far. So, yeah, I mean, the weekend was really exciting. I think it was the first time since 2008 that the Indians had swept the Tigers in Detroit. So that's a lot of fun. Um, And then to come off of that and, and play the Twins, who are probably the worst team in the American League, uh, and and lose the first two games to them was really frustrating. Uh, and I, I was telling myself one day that, hey, you know, like the, the Indians haven't really gotten their butts kicked in a game in a while now. Uh, the, the two losses to Minnesota, were both of them were by one run, and their two losses the week before that, one of them was by one run, and one of them was in extra innings. Um, so it's been a while since they've lost handily. Unfortunately, whether you get killed by 15 runs or you lose an extra innings, a loss is a loss in the standings. Uh, And so it's frustrating how close the Indians are, you know, to being something like, you know, 13 and six. 
instead of just a game over 500. Um, you know, in, in September, when you start looking back at, you know, if you're a game or two out, uh, there have been a lot of games that felt really, really winnable. And obviously they've won some close games too that they could have lost. Uh, but I feel like losing close games to the Twins and, and stuff like that, it's, it's, for me, losing to a bad team in a close game is more frustrating than getting blown out by them. So you'd rather have, so you'd rather be blown out. Like, I feel like last year when the Indians were losing early, it's just complete, um, what do I want to call it? Selection bias or whatever, but it just felt confirmation bias. It felt like the Indians were losing and the offense would just be dead by like the second inning. But even this year when they're losing, it never feels like they're out of it. If that makes sense. I don't know if you agree, but I think I'd almost like these closer games better. I know they kind of hurt more and there's no such thing as a good loss, but it doesn't feel like they're ever completely out of a game until... I mean, in these Twins games in the very last at bat. Right, yeah. I mean, watching the game, I mean, it's obviously being in the game is better. And on some level, in terms of how well is the team playing, you know, the team losing a close game isn't necessarily a sign that they're playing poorly. Um, so, yeah, in a lot of ways, losing a close game, you know, it, it means the team is closer to winning and their run differential and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but for me, just like, I feel like the the emotional toll that the loss takes on me <laughs> worse when the Indians get blown out. Uh, you know, I can just like mentally check out from the game. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll oftentimes keep watching while I'm, you know, I've got some sort of work going on. Um, but I'm just not going to be as emotionally invested. You know, I'll, I'll hope, you know, Lindor makes a nice play or, you know, Santana picks up another hit or whatever it is. Um, Whereas in the close games, I can't detach myself the same way. And so I spend more time, you know, stressed out about it and then more irritated about it when the game ends. <laughs> so you don't really do recaps about this year, but when you did do them, which did you rather, which would you rather watch then when you have to stay attentive and watch it? Um, it's still getting blown out because then you can just kind of have fun with it and just say, all right, we're screwed. It's not going to be good. Cap, you know where you're going with it. You kind of you know, you look for little details to mix in and you kind of have time to think of maybe a more creative way of presenting the loss. Uh, you know, whereas when it comes right down to the wire, you maybe have a more dramatic ending, but then in the rush to get it out, like you're kind of just, you know, unless you have a really good idea comes to mind really quickly, you end up sort of just like almost giving play by play sometimes. Um, so yeah, same thing. Writing a recap, the blood, I was like, all right, well, I know where this is going. Now I've got four more innings to try to come up with an interesting way of telling people that the Indians got killed. <laughs> yeah, I've always kind of been like that with the recap, too. I think I'm just better at, I mean, I'd rather watch a close game, but when it comes to recapping, I like, I'm better at self-deprecating humor. So it's kind of fun just <laughs> making fun of ourselves and the Indians when they're really bad. But I'd rather they win either way. That makes a difference games out in Seattle or Oakland or whatever. So they were ending super late anyway. And then they kept swinging back and forth and it was like, Oh man, I've got to get up in like five hours. I need this game to end. <laughs> there was the one last year on the West coast. I don't remember who they were playing, but it went, I don't think it was extra innings. The game just took forever. Oh no, it was extra innings. It was like 13 innings against somebody. And it went to like two in the morning. <laughs> I remember even like, in the recap, I just wrote it and said, I'm almost life done. of the blogger. Part of me is always like, why am I writing this now? Like, why don't I just go to bed, wake up in the It's not like anyone is really going to be reading the recap at 1.45 in the morning when I can probably get it up there. I could just go to sleep and do this in the morning. But just I always felt compelled to like, no, you have to get the recap done and 
Uh, so yeah, the, the West Coast games half the time it was like just someone take the lead and, and run with it. That's need to worry about a, a late drama. Absolutely, and you know if you didn't get it up, there'd be that one guy who was just waiting to see Jason Lucarb's Indians recap, and you'd get an email right away. <laughs> um, so we didn't really have it on our rundown, but I figured we can talk about Carlos Santana because we're both pretty big fans, and he looked great from the leadoff spot. Whether it's the right path to the decision decision making or not, I think that Frank Cohn is probably going to stick with him in the leadoff role just because he's been so good lately. And it's led to the Indians winning. He had that leadoff home run first. And I'm pretty sure he got at least on base every game so far that he was leadoff. Um, so what have you thought of Santana, Mr. Big Slow, can't be a leadoff guy, being an awesome leadoff hitter? Um, I mean, because I love Santana, I'm happy to see him doing well anywhere in the order. Uh, one of the things I wrote about today is that while he's obviously not like a, a fast guy, um, he's a pretty good base runner. And so, you know, whatever you want to chalk that up to, you know, getting good jumps or, you know, having a good sense of, you know, uh, who's making the throw or how well the pitcher's paying attention to him. Um, not a lot of steals, but a really good success rate the last couple of years. And he rates out pretty well in advanced metrics and things like going from first to third and that sort of thing. So I think he's sort of like a sneaky good base runner. Uh, and then, of course, you know, his walk rate's fantastic. So his on-base percentage is good. Um, so that part of it's a good fit. And honestly, like wherever he's going to do well, I'd be fascinated to know, uh, you know, there have been at one point he, I don't think wanted to be moved into like the number two spot. He saw himself as more of like a run producer who drives in runs. Um, so I, I haven't read anything from any of the beat writers asking him about it, but I'd love to know, you know, how he feels about being in the role. I mean, he's doing so well in it. I feel like no matter what his attitude was about it a week ago when he first found out, I feel like he's got to be liking it now because he's doing well and, you know, the team has won more games than they lost. And like you said, you know, whether whether there's any actual, you know, causation between the two, uh, he's in that role and is doing really well. I think he'd have to struggle in it for at least a couple of weeks, uh, you know, to get moved back out of it. Uh, and we talked about this before. The Indians have a lot of, you know, potentially good hitters. I wrote about Jan Gomes struggling, and then he showed me up by sort of breaking out of that. Um, Kipnis is struggling a little bit right now, um, you know, but not terribly. Brantley, who we'll talk more about later, I'm sure, you know, I, he'll get going, I'm confident. It can be a good lineup. Uh, and, you know, Santana taking a lot of pitches, getting on base. And, you know, I think he's got five extra base hits, too. So he's not always just stopping at first. Uh, it's been great so far. And, I again, Carlos Santana succeeding for me is, like, the most satisfying thing that can happen for the Indians because I get so exhausted listening to people complain about him. And then if you look at uh, the Indians lineup, like, one through six, if everybody's not in a slump at the same time, that's a pretty legitimate two-thirds of the lineup there. Depending on how it's arranged, it's Santana through, well, Santana, Lindor, Kipnis, Brantley, Napoli, and Gomes. And I mean, that alone. And then yeah, even like Rajai Davis. Rajai Davis has been, he's been the team's best hitter so far, <laughs> which I won't claim I saw that coming. Uh, you know, Marlon Bird's been picking it up. So, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, once Brantley gets going, uh, you know, once the other, if, if, if the other guys can kind of maintain what they're doing, it's going to be an above average offense. Uh, and, you know, we've all sort of expected the pitching to be really good, and we'll see what happens with the offense. If the offense can do that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a good team. 
do you think that uh, counts as a pretty big surprise that they're this? I wouldn't say this good yet, but they they look like they could be a pretty good offense. Were you expecting that, or were you expecting like one or two good hitters and then a whole bunch of slumps? Better than I expected so far, in part just because while Brantley was going to be out, my expectations were a little lower. Um, you know, so as long as Brantley is back to 100%, and you know, with a few more games starts to hit like the Michael Brantley we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, I do think it would qualify as at least, you know, a mild to moderate surprise. Um, not out of left field, though. I think it's just a matter of no one's doing anything. Sh- well, Raji Davis's offense is, I guess I would qualify as shocking so far. Um, but other than him, no one's, like, hitting beyond what I thought was reasonably possible. Uh, you know, as we said before, it was just a matter of a lot of guys, you know, playing above the center point of what we thought was possible. You know, Gomes bouncing back and Santana bouncing back and, uh, you know, Lindor staying at least pretty close to maintaining what he did last year. So there are a lot of question marks, most of which so far have positive answers in the lineup. And uh, and you mentioned him, so we'll just skip ahead and talk to him. Here's Michael Brantley. He came back and he played three games, two starts. His technical debut was just a late inning pinch hit that he just flied out. But so far he's one for 10, a walk and a stolen base. Which doesn't look good, but I mean, it doesn't look like anything mechanical yet. Like the injury is doing anything to him. It's just a matter of timing, I think, so far. He's just back soon, and I'm hoping he'll get in the swing soon, but I'm not worried yet. How about you? Yeah, not at all. I mean, if, you know, we talk a week from tonight and he's gone, you know, two for 23 or something like that between now and then, you know, maybe I'll be a little worried. But someone with his track record the last couple of years, before they've got, you know, 25, 30 plate appearances. I don't know how you work yourself into, you know, being too concerned. I know he's, you know, coming off the injury. So there's some reason to think that, but uh, if he's been cleared by medical staff, you know, I want at least 10 games worth of stuff before I'm even willing to be worried about him. Um, And then I'm like, so basically what you're saying, if he was Chisenhall for the next week, he'd be worried. (laughs) Because Chisenhall's two for 18. He's pretty close to that. Who does not have Brantley's track record offensively the last couple of years? Uh, I'm much more willing to be concerned about more quickly. Yep, we're going to talk about him more later. But um, so Brantley coming up, uh, he came up right after. I don't want to say it's a good thing, but as long as as far as roster construction goes, it was kind of quote unquote good that Carlos Carrasco went down and cleared a spot for Brantley. But obviously Carrasco is going to be out four to six weeks with a hamstring strain which is not good for the Indians lineup. Uh, he was injured on Wednesday in the third inning, going after a ground ball uh, to get out Andrew Romine. And then Trevor Bauer came in through three innings, struck out four. And um, one interesting thing to note about this is that the Phillies pitcher, Charlie Morton, he had a similar issue, but his was a hamstring tear, and he's out four to six months. Or four to six or six to eight, one of those two. But his season's over anyway. So it just goes to show how close... Carrasco was coming to having his season over or just missing like a month. Yeah. I mean, in watching it when it happened on Sunday, um, it wasn't immediately clear if it was his, he grabbed his hamstring, um, but it also sort of looked like a knee thing. Uh, and I, I mean, within seconds, I mean, it was just uh, <laughs> sort of dreading it cause it didn't look good and he tried to get up and couldn't really. And, um, yeah, I certainly feared the worst. I feared, you know, whether he had torn something in his knee or a really bad hamstring injury. I certainly was worried he'd be out for the year. Uh, and four to six weeks isn't great. 
Um, but, you know, ultimately, if he misses five weeks uh, and he can come back, you know, right at 100 percent, missing him for five weeks, you know, there's that shouldn't sink the season or anything like that. Uh, but it's a big injury. I don't, you know, I know Indians fans get that. And obviously most of the people listening are Indians fans. I don't really think outside of Cleveland and people who really closely follow baseball, I don't think the average baseball fan knows that Carlos Carrasco is a great starting pitcher. Um, you know, I think they might know he had a pretty good year last year, but I don't think, you know, I don't think he has kind of the reputation uh, to match how good he's been for you know the last year and a half since he moved back into the rotation, you can stack his numbers up. You know, I think I think it was early August of 2014, and you look at his season and a half since then. You know, he's top seven or eight pitchers in baseball over that time. So it, it's even five weeks is a bummer, uh, but I I, you know, I think the team can overcome it. Uh, but like you said, man. Who knows how close he was? You know, I don't. I don't know how to describe the difference between two hamstring injuries. Uh, but yeah, if he had tweaked it just a little bit more, this could be a much more, uh, <laughs> a much bigger bummer. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost bring out that it'd be devastating if he was gone for the season. I mean, it's nice to have Corey Kluber and Danny Salazar, but without Carrasco in there, I don't know. And I know when he was injured, everyone was bringing up the point about Let's this is why you about, have. Oh, well, you know, like this is why it's good to have depth. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it, but at the same time, it's not like you've got someone who's filling in for him. And really, because at least for the time being, Anderson's back down. Uh, you know, the depth hardly even really played in. Like Bauer is basically just taking Anderson's spot in the rotation, and they're using a four-man rotation. Like no one's really filling in for Carrasco right now. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, I'm obviously I'm glad the Indians don't have to like call up some, you know, 28 year old Triple A journeyman to, to <laughs> fill in. But uh, yeah, I mean, no team has the kind of depth that makes losing someone like Carrasco not a big deal. Um, so speaking of Cody Anderson, he did not have a good week or season so far. In his four starts, he's given up 34 hits, six home runs, 17 earned runs, four walks, and he's only struck out 14. And he was optioned earlier in the week to recall uh, lefty reliever Kyle Crockett. And I said earlier, which I'm apparently already wrong, but I would not be surprised if Cody Anderson didn't pitch again for the Indians. Not that he's terrible or anything, but I just think last season he was way over his head, and this is just what he is. It's not like he's a high-end prospect just with like an issue. This is just what Cody Anderson is. But apparently Terry Francona already said that he's probably going to come back uh, in a week, 10 days, when they need a fifth starter. So what do you think about Cody Anderson's just really rapid decline there and him getting sent down? I think anyone who looked at his numbers last year and had a reasonable grasp of how baseball or pitching tends to work knew that the pitcher he was last year wasn't going to be able to sustain anything like the success he had in terms of ERA, which will, you know, continues to be kind of the go-to pitching metric you know, for most baseball fans. Um, but there was all the talk, you know, about his, you know, velocity being a lot higher and, and stuff like that. So you could sort of, you know, he pitched well enough to win a spot in the rotation. And so you could convince yourself that he was an actually better pitcher and would have a better chance of, of doing something like that. Um, so it's disappointing, but I'm not shocked. You know, if you had told me someone in the starting rotation was going to really struggle, I would not have, you know, I would have immediately 
picked him. I, I, I think it makes sense, you know, what Francona said, though. Uh, you know, if he pitched well enough and you feel like he deserves a spot in the rotation, then four starts, as bad as they were, I don't think should be enough to bury him. I think it was the right move to send him down. Um, but I think it makes sense that he's still next in line to come back up as long as his AAA stuff isn't a complete mess. I remember coming into the season, um, his velocity spike was one of the things I was most excited to see. And I don't, I think it's sort of tailed off in the last couple starts, but either way, velocity or not, it just wasn't helping. He just has a fastball that he's not locating particularly well, and that's about it. Yeah, he's just been really, really hittable. Uh, and again, I think, you know, it, it's fun to be excited about players. Uh, and this is just a good reminder that, you know, for every guy you're excited about who, who puts it together, you know, there's three or four guys you get excited about that don't really put it together. So, you know, like like you said, we're going to see him back, and, and hopefully he, he pitches better than he did the last few weeks. Otherwise, I think a second stint to give him another, say, four starts, and they go about the same way. Uh, that's, I think, when you look at, like, dropping him to eighth in line for the rotation. So something like House and Clevenger ahead of him? Maybe even Ryan Merritt? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those, again, I think we're, you know, knock on wood, as long as no one else suffers an injury, I think we're a while away from seeing anyone else get a shot, just because Anderson will come back up and get at least a few more turns, and by the time that could go bad, Carrasco should be back, and so then, you know, even if Anderson's not pitching well, then Bauer just stays in the rotation. Oh, right, yeah, that's true. Yep. I think we're looking at, you know, like mid to late June, and even then it would probably take an injury. Um, so I think it's hard to say who else would be up next. I think it's just there's a lot of guys in the minors who, if they're pitching well for the next two months, they're going to be the guy who gets the shot if Anderson struggles again. Yeah, I would think Bauer would have to be pretty bad to not stay in the starting position now. This is kind of a big time for him. I, I can't is, imagine if, you know, if right Bauer pitches really well. I think he keeps the job even, you know, when when Carrasco comes back, I think Bauer keeps it. But if Bauer's only so-so and Anderson looks really good, uh, you know, then I guess you probably just go back to the opening day arrangement. But, you know, we, we've got weeks to let that all play itself out while we wait for Carrasco to return. Yep. So anything else about the past week you want to talk about? Or are you ready to move on to the Phillies? No, I mean, I think, like I said, the four and two record in sweeping Detroit is great. And, you know, four and two, you go four and two every every week. Uh, you know, you're going to have the best record in baseball. Um, but just, you know, losing close games to a bad team. Uh, it could have been a fantastic week. Uh, and so it's a little disappointing that they're only a game above 500. And, you know, they're only a game behind the Royals. They're only a game out of the out of a postseason spot, if you are willing to start thinking about that in April. Uh, you know, I, sure, I, I think not? the White Sox are eventually going to come back down to earth, although I don't think they're like a total fluke either. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not concerned uh, in terms of like the Indians having dug themselves a hole or anything like that. You know, if you offered me 10 and 9 before the season started, I probably would have said, no, roll the dice, let's see what happens. And I'm a little disappointed with 10 and 9. But if you had offered me 11 and 8, I probably would have taken it. So I'm not going to get too worked up about being one off of that. 
Yeah, so we're pretty close to what we wanted to be, I think. So, uh, looking ahead to the Phillies, it's going to be a three-game series uh, over the weekend. Indians are going to have Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, in Carrasco spot pitching, and then Danny Salazar. Uh, Phillies should have... They, I don't think they have announced it yet, but tomorrow is probably going to be Adam Morgan. He's a 26-year-old, uh, started 50 games, 15 games last year. And then they'll have, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Gerard Eikhoff. And then Vince Velasquez, who was just striking everybody out so far this season, is going to be going up against Salazar. Now, the Phillies are not a good offensive team at all, <laughs> even remotely. Uh, Brian Howard's just dragging them down. Uh, their best hitter, I don't remember who it is now. Odebel Herrera, who's just walking an insane amount. He has a 23% walk rate, which, I mean, even Santana's not going to get near that, which that'll come down, of course, but nobody's hitting on that team. Uh, some people are striking out, and that's about it. How do you see the Indians doing against the Phillies? Uh, well, <laughs> the other part about Santana batting leadoff and kind of the actual focus of what I wrote today is kind of the quirk of the team's primary DH batting leadoff, which the Indians have really never done before. They've never had a DH bat leadoff even 20 times in a season. And pretty much the only time they've had a DH batting leadoff was someone like Kipnis last year, who was the leadoff hitter and occasionally DH, whereas Santana is a DH. Um, so as well as he's playing, it's a bummer not to have the DH in the lineup. I, I'm certain he's going to start at first base at least once. Um, and... If he hits in that game, I could see him, you know, getting a second start. I don't think he'll start all three because you're not going to bench Napoli three games in a row. Uh, but it's sort of bad timing for the Indians to lose the DH. Uh, that said, you went through the pitching matchups, and I feel like I'm a pretty informed baseball fan. Um, I'm definitely, you know, like I'm not like just an Indians fan who doesn't know what's going on on other teams. Uh, but I had never heard of the guys who were supposed <laughs> to pitch for the Phillies Friday and Saturday. So. Many Let's Go Tribe readers will point out that the Indians have often struggled against, you know, new pitchers and stuff like that. And I think some of that is just selection bias. You remember it when right. some seeming nobody shuts down the team. Um, but I'm not above thinking the Indians might get shut down by just about anyone on the given night. But certainly the pitching matchup Friday is a huge edge for the Indians. Uh, and while Bauer is erratic and inconsistent, which are synonyms, so I probably didn't need to use them both, uh, I feel like you know he's the better starting pitcher Saturday. Uh, and then, like you said, Velasquez has been great um, and in some ways kind of a similar pitcher to Salazar, so that's probably the most exciting pitching matchup. The Indians have a better offense. So on paper, the Indians are a better team and ought to win at least two of the three games. But, of course, that's exactly what was true about the series in Minnesota. Um, you know, th this should be a good chance to get a couple more wins uh, before a tough week next week with the Tigers and Royals both coming into town. So hopefully the, the Indians can, can take advantage of the opportunity. So you're calling yourself a baseball fan and you've never heard of Gerard Eikhoff? Is that what you're telling me, Jason? <laughs> I've heard of him, but I baseball? thought... Minor villain in Die Hard 3. <laughs> he might be. Maybe it's going to be... Oh, I guess it can't be. Who's the guy that played him? He just passed away recently. Uh, Alan Rickman. Yeah, Alan Rickman. I was going to say his name is Alan Rickman. Yeah, maybe not. But anyway, yeah. Gerard Eikhoff and Adam Morgan. And then also worth noting in the bullpen for the Phillies is friend of the Indians, Jenmar Gomez. If that name rings a bell. 
it does. for me, the most <laughs> the most memorable thing about Gomez was I barely ever get to go to a game. And I remember that year the Indians had... They didn't have Kluber yet, but they had Masterson, who I really wanted to see, and they had Ubaldo Jimenez, who I wanted to see. And then the ticket I had ended up being for Jenmar Gomez. So <laughs> the one game I got to go was like my first game in many years, and it was a Jenmar Gomez start. But he's actually really good in their bullpen so far. I don't know how long that'll last, but... You're talking about play. the pitching matchups. I, like... I'm a pitching guy. Uh, I'd much rather, you know, see a pitcher's duel than a slugfest. And so when I'm going to a game, uh, if I have any flexibility about the dates, it's the pitching matchups that I look at. And I'll go to the game with a better pitching matchup. Um, So when I can, I avoid seeing starters like him. But then there's like the rain out or, you know, something gets shuffled around. It's always really disappointing to buy a ticket when you think you're going to go see like Chris Sale versus Corey Kluber and then a rain out the day before and suddenly it's like each team's fifth starter instead. And that's like a huge dramatic swing that I know for some fans, they just don't care. The ball game's a ball game and I'm still happy to go. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's to me disappointing to show up when you could see a good pitcher and be seeing Jamar Gomez instead. <laughs> yeah, that game was fun to be there, but it was miserable in a way because it was it was April, really early in April, and it was just barely over freezing. I didn't have a coat, so I had to pay like eighty dollars to get one of those windbreakers outside the stadium. And then it was Jenmar Gomez and Dan Heron, I think, for the Angels. I mean, it was fun going to a game, but sitting way up in the bleachers and freezing and watching Jenmar Gomez <laughs> wasn't great. You're right, though. He's got good. He he's I. I just pulled him up in front of me now. He's He's got good numbers for them going yeah, back to last year, too. Maybe he's Wade Davis 2.0. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. Anything else about the Phillies you had? No. Uh, as you said, their offense really, really does not look impressive. Um, I, I sure hope Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer and Danny Salazar can, can all do well against them because – uh, it's a weak lineup. For sure. And all I didn't want to say, I think Vince Velasquez has a chance to just mow down this lineup. <laughs> the Indians have, they strike, if anything, to knock against the offense that they strike out too much. And that's what Velasquez does to strike everybody out. So that game, I think, could be ugly. Yeah, well, no and you never know on a Sunday, you never know what kind of lineup a team is going to trot out on a Sunday. That's typically the day that managers sometimes, you know, give the backups time and rest some of the guys. Um what they call like the getaway day lineup. So yeah, yeah we'll see. There, there, there could be a lot of strikeouts on both sides of the ledger <laughs> Sunday. So are you saying future MVP Roberto Perez might be in there for the Indians? Might be, you know. <laughs> Is that the start of his rise? Jan Gomes, it seemed like we, we could be tilting towards your world. <laughs> uh, but Jan wasn't having any of it. And I think Roberto's probably now back in the hole. <laughs> Yeah, right after you wrote that article. We need to discuss the Lucart curse here for a minute. We did a little bit last week, but it's getting scary now. You wrote about Marlon Bird, who was it, Uribe and Davis all not being good. Those three took off. You wrote about Jan Gomes not being good. He took off. And then you wrote a headline about Mike Napoli not being good. And like the next inning, he hit a home run. Yes. His next at bat, he hit a match home run and all I had done was put together a headline and send out a tweet so I don't know if it was the headline or the tweet or the combination of the two but the Lucard effect right now doesn't even take a full article being written 
we need to like figure out where exactly the power comes from. We need to do, like control. Oh uh, yeah, power. like everyone's like, oh, right about how the Indians can't possibly win the World Series. The thing is, with the exception of a thing I wrote very tongue in cheek about Mike Avila's um, that he should be the number two hitter every day, I've never written one like trying to change anything. <laughs> I've always honestly believed that these guys were were really struggling, and it was you know an area of concern. So I can't, like, I don't think I can fake it. <laughs> so you're just, like, channeling the the jinx through you. You don't control it. Right. It's just whatever comes to you. Yeah, like, if I were to go place. out right now and be like, oh, Corey Kluber will never pitch another shutout, he's not going to go out and pitch a shutout because I don't actually believe that. So I think it only works when I really believe what I'm writing. And I really believed that Mike Napoli uh, – People were overlooking the fact that after a good first few days, he his numbers had been terrible until he hit that home run. Oh, uh, but yeah, then I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to figure out something else to write about. So fortunately, Carlos Santana, being the DH and leading off, gave me something else to write about. Yep. And I'm bummed. I might still write about this. You mentioned Tyler Naquin, most recent game, finally drew his first walk. Uh, I was in the midst of putting together research on... <laughs> players who took forever to draw their first walk. So I might still write it up. It's semi-interesting, which is the type of things that are most interesting to me. Um, Francisco Lindor also took 30, I think it was 36 plate appearances for him. The big surprise for me, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Jim Tomei, when he came up, went like 30-some plate appearances before drawing a walk, which given that drawing walks is something he was awesome at. And then when I looked at it, Tomei's first walk uh, was an intentional walk. So he didn't like draw an unintentional walk until like his 54th plate appearance, which I would not have guessed Jim Tomei needed 54 plate appearances to, to draw four balls. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Uh, I guess it's gotta be just a young person coming up and they want to swing at everything. I would think, right? Yeah. I Even think that's Tomei. definitely part of it. Um, you know, you're, you're probably understandably more aggressive at the plate I could potentially see there being something to, you know, you haven't earned any sort of strike zone yet. So you're probably not getting the benefit of the doubt on many close calls either. Uh, you know, and Naquin's never going to be a guy who walks 80, 90 times anyway. Uh, but yeah, before I could finish it up and write about it, he went and drew a walk. Did you write the title? Is that what caused it? <laughs> no, maybe just doing the research was enough. I don't know how I'm going to get accomplish anything if just looking into something changes it. <laughs> this is a dangerous power, Jason. So we'll move on to our social media questions. Uh, I asked everyone on Facebook and Twitter to send us whatever they wanted to ask about the Indians. And we got quite a few this time. Really good ones. So I'll let you take the first one here from Reed Shoop on Facebook. They ask, if Chisholm continues to struggle, will, he'll be the, will he be the odd man out when we finally add a fifth starter? So if Chisholm Hall doesn't recover, I think, I don't know, anyway. So when they need, a, or not when they need a fifth starter, but whenever Carrasco comes back. Because I think when they bring a fifth starter back, they're just going to get rid of somebody in the bullpen. So when when Carrasco actually comes back, does Chisholm Hall have a chance to be the one that has to go down to make room for him? Well, another week or two, like his first week back, and yeah, uh, he's <laughs> what I think maybe... Two for 18 or something like that. Uh, 
hasn't drawn a walk. And I mean, again, it's 18 plate appearances. I, I, I've said I, like four times on this podcast, going back to when we started it back up during spring training, that for me, the thing with Chisholm Hall is I just have no idea who he is as a player. His offense has been all over the place over his career. Um, his defense looked fantastic in two months at the end of last year. Uh, and I just didn't know whether to buy into any of that. Um, I, I like Chisholm Hall. I'd love to see him be a productive player. I'd love to see his bat kind of level out. And just league average would be fine with his defense like the end of last season. Um, but the other thing I've said four times is that I would not be surprised at all if he really struggled. So I think, uh, you know, like we talked about with Brantley, or we talked about with Chisholm Hall when Brantley came up, um, I am much more willing to think Chisholm Hall is uh, in trouble in a very small sample. So I'm not yet. It's only been six games. Um, but, yeah, two weeks from now, if he's, you know, batting 180 and, and has, you know, one or two doubles and that's about it, uh, you know, I think he's going to start to lose his playing time quickly. And he's probably at the point where, if the team decides to send him down again, um, a lot of things are going to have to happen before, you know, for him to be on the 25-man roster ever again. I don't think he has an option, does he? I think he'd have to be designated. I can't remember. He was one of the – like every, I don't know why this happens every spring, but he was one of those players that like there was like debate about whether, he not, whether or not he has an option left. Yeah, I wish um, they would just keep track of that somewhere. Like MLB, they keep track of everything else but that. I don't know. Yeah, and I think like – Indians baseball insider does keep track of it. And so like people check with Tony from over there on it. Um, but I don't remember what the results were with Chisholm Hall. Like, even if he has an option, I just feel like as many opportunities he's had, and he's still, you know, young ish. Um, but yeah, if he doesn't make things work in the next two or three weeks and he gets sent down, if he's got the option, uh, you know, I, I think we're, we'd be, Looking at having seen the last of him in an Indians jersey, unless a couple guys got hurt. Mm-hmm. So, what if he doesn't have the option? Would you? I don't think I could, in good conscience, send Naquin or Marlon Bird away if everybody's playing the way they are right now, with Chisholm Hall being bad and everyone's being good. Even if it means just designating Chisholm Hall and somebody else claims him and you trade him or something. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I feel like obviously Naquin can be optioned and uh, you know, I, I think anyone with a 464 batting average on balls in play, you've got to expect their numbers to drop a bit, but yeah, I don't really know how you justify demoting a rookie who's batting 333. Uh, you know, even if his batting average, but like, what are you going to tell him that? Like, Oh, I know you're batting 333, but that's only because of this. And so we're going to send you down. <laughs> right. um, yeah. I think Naquin, You've got a, have a hard time sending him down right now. And, you know, Bird, same thing. It's just playing a lot better. I, I don't think the Indians can justify keeping Chisholm Hall or anyone, uh, you know, giving them regular playing time, you know, with Chisholm Hall's kind of numbers. But we need another week or two to kind of have a sense of whether that's actually what his offense is at right now or not. Yep. Okay. So uh, also on Facebook, Darren Kimmett asked, uh, do you think the Indians will get a fifth starter from AAA or trade for a starter? I think this one's pretty straightforward that they're going to bring somebody up from AAA when they need them. They're not going to trade to replace Crasco, and I don't see him trading when he comes back either. Yeah, I don't either. I I don't know. Right now is a weird time to try to trade for a starter anyway. 
I don't know, there's not a lot of teams like looking to trade away decent starting pitching this early in the year. So I don't think there's much of a trade market to be found. If there were, I'd be giving up the kind of prospect or something like that that the Indians just aren't uh, known for doing. So I'd be stunned if the Indians traded for a starting pitcher right now. Yeah, me too. Really any time this season. Yeah, if anything, they're going to trade a pitcher for a position player if they trade anything, I think. Okay, so also on Facebook, Bill King Waff Cooper, which I did not make that up, that's his name, asks, when is the projected time to bring up Frazier if he continues dominating the minors? <laughs> Next year? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I mean, he's he's still young, he's still in double A. Uh, it's the kind of thing, if the Indians are in contention and, and Frazier has played well all year when September rolls around, then maybe look at it then. Um, but I I bet against it, even if Frazier continues to, to do well. I think you're looking at, um, you know, best case, he's playing so well that they call him up, you know, two, three weeks after opening day next season when they've gotten the extra year of control over him. Uh, I think more likely would be like mid-season next year, similar to when Francisco Lindor was called up last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the idea of Frazier dominating in AAA is a little bit of a misnomer because, I mean, he has a long hit streak. It's like in nine games right now, but he's it's one hit every game, and he hasn't drawn a walk in that streak. So it's not that he's dominating. He's just doing just enough to keep that streak going. So, I mean, like one or two games where he doesn't hit, and it looks a lot worse. But compared to Bradley yeah, hitting streaks are very, very deceptive like that. It's always interesting to look at a player's numbers during a hitting streak because there are hitting streaks where a guy's batting like 530, and there are hitting streaks where a guy's batting like 310 because he's going, like you said, you know, one for four a lot of times. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's in double A. Uh, he's played 18 games at double A, and he's got a 317 on base percentage. He's not knocking down the door for some sort of, you know, fast track to the major leagues. I'm fine with how he's hitting right now um, because he's young and he's only been in double A for 18 games. But he's, I don't think, anywhere near, uh, you know, the major leagues. Like I said, I would I confidently bet against him being in Cleveland this year. But, I mean, I don't know that the question was wondering about that. The question might have been wondering, is 2017 realistic? And, yeah, if Frazier has a good year this year, I could see him up, you know, midseason next year. Yep. I think same goes for Zimmer, too. He looks a lot worse. He, not a lot worse, but he's not hitting quite as well as Frazier right now. But I think both of them are going to come up relatively close. If anything, because Frazier's done so good recently that I think he's catching up to Zimmer. Maybe not in terms of ceiling, but in terms of when they'll be called up. I think, you know, Frazier was ahead of Zimmer in most people's eyes. And then, mm. you know, Zimmer was so good for most of last year and, and kind of played his way ahead of Frazier. Um, but it shouldn't, I don't think, surprise us if, you know, Frazier kind of repasses him. And, and uh, I know. Yeah, I think in terms of like when are they both in the starting lineup. I think really you're looking at like 2018 when that would be kind of the plan to have them both in the starting lineup. And I know deep down Zimmer's probably going to be the better player, but just as an emotional fan level, I'm so much more excited for Frazier. Just the way he plays, <laughs> how hard he swings the bat and all the emotion. I don't know if you saw 
last week he struck out and broke a bat on his knee. <laughs> I always think of as the Bo Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait for him to get up to the majors. Okay. It's so, fun to have like prospects to be excited about. I was excited right. about Lindor for years. Um, and so having him finally arrive and be as good as he's been, uh, you know, after spending years thinking about him and writing about him and discussing him in the comments and, uh, I take a lot of satisfaction from one Let's Go Tribe member or former member who I didn't get along with very well, who was always pretty down on Lindor. Uh, so, yeah, for my own personal spiteful petty reasons, <laughs> too. Um, it's You know, it's just fun to have guys to look forward to. Yeah, and I've always liked prospects, but I've never followed them as closely as I have in the last year since writing this stuff. So I think it's going to be even more fun when I'm when I've got my own couple of prospects to follow like that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, Lindor became, like, a prospect as I was beginning to write about baseball. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, I got to meet him. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's fun to follow guys, you know, over years when you're actually paying attention to them. And they're not just, like, a name on a prospect list you see every once in a while. But you're actually looking at how they're doing every couple of days and, you know, reading news articles when you can about them and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, if... As far as not just getting top ones to find the names, I think mine so far is JP Fire Eisen from who's in Double A right now. I remember in the first article I wrote about him when he hadn't scored. Uh, I apparently spelled his name wrong, and his mom emailed me. I thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Now she follows us. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really cool. She's really nice. Okay, uh, so next question is Stan Finger on Twitter has Lindor's play somehow raised his ceiling again? So speaking of Lindor, there you go. So has how good he's been recently made his ceiling even higher, do you think? Um, no, not for me, just because he's not playing better than I hoped. He's not playing much better than I expected. Um, you know, his offensive numbers are a little down from last year, but not much, which is sort of what I hoped. Um, and his defense continues to look great. So I'd say, no, it hasn't raised his ceiling, but that's because, for me, his ceiling was already you know, best shortstop in the American League or, you know, top three shortstop in baseball or however you want to look at it, um, you know, and one of the best players in the league. So I, I feel like he's just continuing to have a really high ceiling. Um, and I guess I would just say what's changed is my confidence level in him getting at least close to that ceiling has gone up, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I think if anything, it's just raised expectations. But like he said, a ceiling was already so high. He would have to do so much to raise it. He would have to hit the ceiling and then keep going to raise it at this point, I think. Yeah, but you're, you're right. You're, that's what's changed, is expectations. Not my, not my hopes, not his, not his ceiling. But at this point, you know, if coming into the season you had said, oh, you know, he's, he's going to be batting, you know, 265 and his on-base percentage is going to be, you know, like, you know, 320. Um you know, I would have been fine with that. You know, he's still really young. His defense is going to be great. I'll take that. At this point, now that he's batting like 290 and has a 360 on base percentage, if his on base percentage drops to 320 now, I'm going to be a lot more bummed about it than I would have been before the season started. Yeah. Yep. So our last uh, question is from Fake M Wisegarber on Twitter. He asked, "Would you rather watch a Mike Napoli at bat or get stung by a bee?" So I am allergic to bees, so if I get stung by a bee, I'll probably die. But if I had to watch just bad Mike Napoli all year, like if I'm in some kind of hell where it's just on repeat, I would consider the bee sting. 
<laughs> but I mean, just watching any at bat, I'll watch an athlete at bat instead of maybe dying or at least having an arm swell up. That seems reasonable. I don't know, like, is it... What's, I mean... What's what's the drawback to the Mike Napoli at bat? Just that there's a lot more pitches, or well, I think it's like what we talked about before the season. He's basically Carlos Santana because he takes I guess, a bunch of pitches. Yeah. I mean, he'll look bad be... because he won't always hit home runs. Yeah, but when he hits home runs, he looks really right. good. If he doesn't, he looks bad. As, like as ready as I was to write that Mike Napoli has been terrible article, <laughs> um, I don't know. I he he hasn't drawn. He's not Mark Reynolds. You know. 2.0 for me right now. Now, again, it's still early three weeks from now. I might be changing my tune and saying, let me bring it beyond. <laughs> right now, an athlete's been an average hitter. He's leading the team with home runs. Like, I don't know that any Indians fan should be complaining about a player who is actually mathematically on pace to hit 30-plus home runs. <laughs> That's what we've been whining for for years. So as long as Matt Napoli's on pace for 30 home runs... I won't. I, I won't complain about him. I guess unless I change my mind, which I reserve the right to do. <laughs> so let's try to amp it up a little bit here. What about a Colin Cowgill at bat and five bee stings? Hmm. Um. Has a lot of bee stings. I think that's like <laughs> one or two more than the total bee stings of my life. I don't know if I want all of those at once. <laughs> yes, I'll still go. Just over the course of the at bat, they just come and you won't know when they're coming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is this like five bees at once, or is this just like, and in the next year you shall be visited by five bees? Well, I don't know which is worse there. <laughs> Either you get stung right away, or the whole year you're going to be looking over your shoulder at every bee. I want the five stings. The anticipation of things is always worse than the actual things. When I was in high school, my friends and I used to have this game with, like, you could play with any coin, and like you, you had to flick the coin and try to keep it spinning, usually on like the oh, lunch yes. table. Yeah, then you get them into their knuckles. Yeah, and yeah. so then, yeah, if you screwed it up, you had to put your fist down, and the other person got to, you know, from like three feet away, slide the quarter at you, and if they hit you directly, I actually have a scar on one of my knuckles from my friend Justin, um, so it could really hurt. Most of the time, they missed, or they shot softly to hit you, and it didn't even hurt that much. The sitting there with your fist pressed down waiting for them to shoot at you was by far the worst part of it. So if I am going to get stuck by five bees, I just want it all to happen at once. <laughs> There's always that one kid in that game who's way too good at it. Like he, He's just been training to flick quarters into people's knuckles, and you can tell. The people who are like at home spending 45 minutes a night working on it. <laughs> just blasting music and flicking quarters. <laughs> okay, I think we thoroughly answered that question. So that is just about all we have. Uh, do you have anything else coming up this week? Exciting or Indians or otherwise? Uh, no, I don't. I, a week from tomorrow, the, the first Friday of May, uh, it kicks off summer movie season. I'm a pretty big movie goer. And while most of my favorite movies aren't like big summer movies, uh, I'm totally willing to go to big summer movies and generally enjoy them. So I'm looking forward to having some of those movies come out. Maybe we can do a, a spin-off movie preview to wrap up next week's episode and talk a little bit about what we're excited about. Oh, for sure. I'm way behind, but I also just bought The Force Awakens yesterday. Nice. That's why I was a little late to watching the game. My wife asked, do you want to watch Star Wars? I'm like, sure. I'm not going to say no to that. So I always like, I like going to a theater. I like the experience of it, but I never liked the movie as much. 
but even in the theater, I love The Force Awakens. So when I watched it at home, it was just even more. It's amazing. Yeah, we I saw it numerous times in the theater, uh, <laughs> and then we've watched it once on Blu-ray since we got it. But then after we watched it, we found out that the remote control BB-8 that I have has like some special feature where if you watch the movie with BB-8, what? he like does stuff during the movie, I guess. So we haven't had time to watch it again, um, but at some point in the next you know, month or so, I'll probably carve out some time to try it again just to see what BB-8 is going to do. Oh, that is cool. That's neat. So I'll let you know. He might do like nothing. He might just like spin around when he, when he appears on the screen or something. I have no <laughs> idea. But he also might like give me a message or something. I can't <laughs> of missing out on getting a personal message from BB-8 while I watch The Force Awakens. So I must I'm do sure it. I'm sure that's what will happen. He'll project the map everywhere for you. <laughs> okay. So uh, the only thing, other thing I had was that uh, if everybody listening didn't notice, I started doing Facebook Live stuff. Uh, I'm going to do a Q&A hopefully once maybe a couple times a week, depending on how many questions we get. And then I have a couple people who want to do like post-game reaction kind of things, which will be fun. There's no way I'm doing those for the East Coast games, <laughs> talking for 20 minutes directly after a game at 2 in the morning. But um, but yeah, like day games, regular night games maybe. I think that'll be fun. How did it go the first time? Good. I uh, did like 12 minutes, I think. There weren't a ton of questions, but... It was fun to talk. There was a few comments. Uh, it's just nice talking live like that about baseball. It's pretty fun. Do it and clicked onto it. And I don't know if then I was seeing like your Facebook profile and stuff, whatever it was, and your picture was there. And while I've seen your avatar, which does basically look like you, somehow it was jarring to see your actual photo. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm prepared to know what everyone else at Let's Go Tribe looks like. <laughs> Maybe we'll just make everybody do it in the dark. <laughs> they just put a little light on their head. That's it. Okay. So that is all we have. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I, I'm hoping the next time we do this, we'll have had the Phillies series uh, and the Tigers series. It would be great to have another sweep of the Tigers to talk about next week. Oh, that would be great. I have family, well, in-laws that all live around Detroit, and my wife's a Detroit fan. So anytime we can beat Detroit, I'm all for that. That's rough. <laughs> my, my wife's an Indians fan. She doesn't really care about baseball, but she's actually from Cleveland, unlike me. So she's happy to be an Indian fan. So I don't have to deal with the, the stress of that. So you, you, you have my sympathies. <laughs> well, I have kids, too. So I buy them Indian stuff, and then her family buys them Tiger stuff. But all their clothes are relegated to pajamas. So they can wear them in bed, not in public. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. See you later, everybody.